Welcome to the Outthinkers Podcast. Plug in to fascinating minds and breakthrough ideas that are transforming industries and the world. I am your host, Kyan Krippendorf, founder of Outthinker Networks, a global think tank comprised of corporate strategists, innovators, and entrepreneurs shaping the future of business. If this describes you, join us at outthinker.com. Let's dive into this week's episode. We are all being commoditized, but I think that what we can fight back with is relationships and with brand equity. If you become a person that people want to be around, if you are a person that people like enough, that they respect enough, then it doesn't matter that AI is nearly as good as what we are doing. And so I think that we all need very rapidly to double down and recommit to our personal brand and to our network and to our relationships, because those are the things that are going to enable us to be successful when we have all been commoditized by something that is not just better than us as individuals, but is frankly probably going to be better than us as a species. That was Dory Clark, who is committed to helping individuals and companies get their best ideas heard in a crowded, noisy world. She's been named one of the top 50 business thinkers in the world by Thinkers 50. She was honored as the number one communication coach by the Marshall Goldsmith Leading Global Coaches Awards and one of the top five communication professionals in the world by Global Gurus. She has numerous books under her name as a best-selling author, including The Long Game, Entrepreneurial You, Reinventing You, and Stand Out, which was named the number one leadership book of the year by Inc. Magazine. You'll also find her work in Harvard Business Review, Fast Company. She is prolific. I've been a longtime fan of Dory. And when I learned that she recently moved to Miami, where I now live, I jumped at the chance to connect in person and invite her to do this podcast. We dive into elements of each of her books in this episode, gleaning wisdom Dory has acquired over the span of her career on building a personal brand that propels you into success. As you heard in the highlighted clip, Dory's work has become even more critical in the rise of AI and tech. Getting seen and heard is more challenging than ever. In this episode, we discuss what Dory's definition of personal brand is and how it's related to reputation and what constitutes an effective brand. Specific tactics you can use to assess your personal brand now and build a brand that really encapsulates you how AI might expand into our organizations and things humans could do to remain relevant, why relationships and your personal brand equity will become a critical competitive advantage as we enter the era of AI and tech commoditization. Ladies and gentlemen, Dory Clark. Dory, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We've been trying to get you here for a while. Finally, we're able to get some time in your schedule. It's such a pleasure to have you. Kayan, it's always a treat to get to spend time with you. Thank you. So I want to warm up with two questions that I ask all the guests. The first, just to get us to know you a little bit more personally, if you could complete the sentence for me, if you really know me, you know that. You know that I have an incredible problem with motion sickness. It has actually shaped my life in a lot of ways because I would probably be, or at least be attempting to be a folk rock musician. That was what I really wanted to do when I was in college. Really? But I realized that a life on tour buses would be a life of misery. And so I needed to be more stationary. (laughs) (laughs) This is pre-Zoom, I guess. So what did you play or sing? What was your musical skill? You know, I was a typical angsty guitarist. 
But I've reformatted myself actually in my adult years because instead of being a performer in recent years, I've come back to songwriting and have been writing musical theater. And the good news with that is that people who do musical theater are actually way better at singing than I am. And so I leave that to them. They can be in the buses. They can sing. I'll just write the songs. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. I know we're supposed to be getting to your work, but just one more question. What's an example of the type of piece that you've written? So one of the things that is the furthest along is what I call a lesbian spy musical. It's basically if James Bond were a woman, it's called Absolute Zero. We had a reading sponsored by an off-Broadway theater, the York Theater in New York City earlier this year. I did it with a composer collaborator. I was the lyricist. And so we had this kind of brassy, jazzy, 60s like Bond feel to it. I love it. Oh, gosh. All right. I would ask more, but we have so many important things to get to. Let me ask the second canned question that I ask all the guests. I always get a different answer. What is your definition of strategy? My back of the envelope definition of strategy is basically what can I do today that will make tomorrow better and easier? What can I do today that would make tomorrow better and easier? I love it. Yes. I see how that applies certainly to personal strategy, but to business strategy, to social strategy. Excellent. So you are a prolific writer, content creator, researcher, and I think that what would be most valuable would be to apply some of the insights and advice you have for people who are on more entrepreneurial paths to the entrepreneur, the strategist, the innovator inside an established company. And certainly their personal brand is really important. It'll influence the trajectory. So just a loose, open question. If you just like talk to me a little bit about what is a personal brand and what are the characteristics of a powerful or effective personal brand? Well, I, you know, broadly speaking, your personal brand is really nothing more and nothing less than your reputation. I think people get turned around sometimes because the term has gotten so loaded or so overlaid with these nauseating images of influencers on social media. And, you know, rational professionals are like, dear God, I don't want to be like that. <laughs> but at a really basic level, what we're talking about is just making sure that there's no distance between how you see yourself and how other people see you. You want to make sure that ideally this is not really a Venn diagram. Ideally, this is two circles on top of each other. You would like people to see you the way you feel you are. You would like to make sure that the message is getting across properly. And so personal branding, I like to think, is really an exercise in making sure that happens so that the signals don't get jumbled in the transmission, but instead other people see you and recognize your talents the way you want them to. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what I learned from your work is that it makes sense. A natural first step is to see what your personal brand currently is and assess that personal brand. How does one do that? Yeah. So my first book actually was called Reinventing You and talked about this question because for most of us at some point, we want to change our brand or, you know, how we're seen. That can be in large or small ways. Obviously, sometimes you change jobs, you change industries. Sometimes it's as simple as getting promoted. And now you want people to see you in the new context with a little bit more gravitas to you. So that involves understanding your starting point, right? I mean, at a very basic level, you can't navigate to Europe if you're not sure if you're starting from Antarctica or Canada. Ultimately, the way we can begin to get a pulse, there's more or less in-depth versions of it. For many professionals, if you're high up enough in a company, you can probably get an executive coach given to you. That is fantastic. You know, the 360s that they do are really invaluable in terms of getting insights that you probably couldn't get on your own. 
But short of that, if you want to take control of the process or you don't have access to that, there's a lot of quick things you can do. I mean, one, at a really basic level, which not a lot of people do, perhaps because they haven't thought of it or that they fear that it is a narcissistic endeavor, is literally just like Googling yourself periodically and seeing what comes up. Because guess what? That's what other people are doing. You know, they're typing your name in when they want to learn about you. It's really important to actually get a pulse of like, all right, what is coming up? And if I were a neutral third party, what is the impression that I would get? You know, what am I seeing here? What are we overweight or underweight in, in terms of what's being conveyed? That's one piece. Another one that I love is kind of a quick exercise you can do with friends and colleagues. You can ask them in person, you can text them, whatever it is, but I call it the three-word exercise. And it's basically asking people, you know, real quick, if you had to name three words to describe me, what would they be? And it's not that they're probably going to tell you something you've never heard before. That's not the point. But the point is to try to understand something very subtle that without this exercise, we really couldn't do, which is what is it about us that other people think is most prominent, most distinctive? What is it that comes first to mind? And if you ask half a dozen people, you're probably going to see really rapidly that the adjectives are going to cohere around a few different themes. And that's extremely powerful to recognize because that's, to use the marketing term, that's your unique selling proposition. That's what people know you for. And you can really lean into that. Gotcha. Great. So the first step is to do that kind of market assessment of where we are, what the associations are. And then it is about, as I understand, is like defining your desired brand. I think this is really important today, you know, with AI coming into the workforce. And I know you wrote something recently on that. I want to touch on that. Growth in gig workers, 30, 40% of large companies now, their workforces, external consultants, career paths now have a diversity of directions to go, right? It's a really different world. I think your personal brand and defining your desired personal brand is really fundamental now. So what are some tips you have? Like, how do you define your personal brand? Well, you know, just like everybody has heard the advice at one time or another, you know, like dress for the job that you want. Great advice like 20 years ago. I mean, now literally we're all in hoodies and <laughs> it's just life post-COVID. But the sort of metaphorical version of dress for the job that you want is try to get yourself thought of the way that someone who has the job that you want is thought of. So, for instance, to the point of many of your listeners, if you want to be rising up to the highest levels, to the C-suite, you know, you want to be a chief strategy officer or any C-suite leader, probably strategy and innovation, let's say, are going to be key components of things that most people will believe are important elements. Someone who has this job needs to be good at those things. And so this becomes really useful where you can essentially, from that three-word exercise, sort of compare like, okay, here's me today, and then here's me in X number of years when I am ascending to the position that I want. You know, what are the ways that people describe the person in the job now? Or maybe they suck, who knows? What are the ways that they would identify or describe the ideal person for this job? And if there's any kind of daylight between those two things, we can work backwards and essentially say, all right, if I'm not necessarily being viewed as, you know, as innovative as I would like them to see, what are the levers that I have? What are the things that I can do in order to kind of amp that up? You know, we're not talking about some kind of Potemkin village or whatever. It's not like, oh, how can I trick them into thinking this? But presumably you have these abilities and it's just how do you get people to notice them more? And it literally could be something as simple. I often advise this for folks. It's just like talking about certain things more. You know, we often assume that people know it. Let's say you're leading an innovation task force or whatever. 
If you just make a point to bring it up more frequently, if you discover that most people don't know you're doing it, that is a super low-hanging fruit that can make a big difference. Yes. And I can see that people, I think I relate this to strategy. If you're talking about corporate strategy, you have to repeat the corporate strategy many, many, many times before someone hears it the first time. And I imagine there's a similar dynamic here that might prevent people from feeling that they should, or maybe they feel like they're advocating too forcefully for themselves or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And I think you raise an excellent point. And the distinction that I want to draw here is that what makes people often feel uncomfortable when it comes to personal branding is that they feel like, at least in sort of the straw man that they construct in their heads, that what is going to be necessary for them is to continually be chest thumping all the time. Or, you know, let me tell you about this great thing I had. Let me tell you about my victory. And of course, that would get old. That's not what we're saying. Nobody wants you to do that. But it is true that if other people don't have basic factual information, they don't even know that you're on the committee, much less that you run the committee, then you're not going to get credit for it. And so one of the easiest things that I like to suggest for folks is inevitably, anytime you're catching up with somebody that you haven't seen for a while, they are going to ask you literally every time they're going to ask you some variation of the question. So what have you been up to lately? And this is the place where we often fall down because even though we know it's coming, we 99% of the time fail to prepare for this question. And so we end up with some dumb answer like, oh, nothing much or same old, same old. Best case scenario, you come up with some random thing like, oh, I just saw this great movie over the weekend. You know, that's the moment where you can actually go back and say, you know what? They're asking me a question. I'm not bragging here. I'm literally answering a question that they're asking me. Why don't I pick something that highlights an element that I would like this person to perceive in me a little bit more clearly? Interesting. Yeah, I think it was Keith Ferrazzi on this podcast that talked about being intentional. He suggested if you want to make a connection with someone, throw out three things. You know, I write music. I'm an author. I live in Miami, right? So that people can find that connection. But you're talking about like, just as you would in business, what do we want my customer to associate my brand with? And then being intentional about communicating that. Yeah, absolutely. And I am definitely a fan of what Keith is saying. You know, Keith is a friend. I have another colleague named Christian Bush who amps it up even more. He likes five. He says, give him five hooks. He calls them serendipity hooks because you never know which thing is going to resonate with them or where there's going to be a commonality. And a big part of this whole process of building relationships and getting people to see you the way that you would ideally like to be seen is about them having factual information. But it's also true that part of it is at a really simple level, just the overlay of liking you. If we go back to Robert Cialdini, one of the six levers of influence is liking. And so if you can have some kind of a commonality, oh, I love dogs too. Oh, I live in Miami too. Then it becomes the basis for a little bit warmer of a relationship, which does help things stick more. Yes, to get those mirror neurons firing in their mind, right? So they say this person is like me. Exactly. Love it. Love it. All right, so many places that we want to go, but I know we are approaching the top of our time with you. But it sounds like what we're talking about is sort of strategic principles applied to personal brand and career, which is sort of what I understand led you to wanting to write The Long Game. So could you tell us why did you decide and how did you decide to write that? So just prior to the pandemic, I was kicking around ideas, trying to think about what I wanted my next intellectual journey, I guess, to be, you could say. 
And the thing that I kept coming back to was that I would meet up with colleagues and it seemed like, you know, these very cool, very successful people kept saying some variation of, oh, life is good, but I just wish I had a minute to think. I just wish I had a minute to breathe. And it was this kind of successful, but very successful misery. And I realized, okay, you know, something's going wrong here. And it brought me back to a speech that I gave a few years ago at the Peter Drucker Forum in Vienna. They reached out and they asked me to give a talk about strategy. You know, it was literally the mandate, something about strategy. I'm like, all right, where am I going to go with this? What can I say that's interesting? And what I realized as I thought about it was, okay, for me, the interesting thing about strategy, just about everybody thinks it's a good idea, right? There's not exactly an anti-strategy contingent out there. But the problem, of course, is everybody says it's great, but very few people actually do it. Very few people actually take the time to be thoughtful about strategy or to even attempt to make truly strategic moves. And I wanted to understand why. I wanted to understand, you know, to the point of these executives, like, you know, running around with a chicken with their head cut off, what's getting in the way? And how can we try to chip away at that to provide people with some ideas, some frameworks, some ways of thinking so that hopefully we can essentially intervene upstream to make it more likely that people will embrace strategy, actually do it, and therefore hopefully make better decisions that lead them closer to the life outcomes and the career outcomes that they want. I love it. So what we haven't brought into this yet, I think, is some of the changes. I mean, certainly COVID has changed things. Bringing strategy to your career is something that always agree. We don't do it enough. We don't think to do it. and We should do it more. But also the context of our careers is changing. I want to get in a moment a little bit into AI and how you see that shaping the workforce. But more broadly, in what way do you see work changing? What's the future of work in your view? Yeah, the large language model innovations have been incredibly stunning over the past you know six months as we're recording this. And I have to say, I think that right now we're in this moment where, you know, everybody's buzzing about it, everybody's talking about it. But I actually think that the vast majority of people probably don't understand how profoundly things have changed. The best metaphor that I have is we are like the roadrunner and the ground is gone and we don't quite know it yet. And so we have a lot of momentum and the momentum is keeping us going. And, you know, we're not going to be out of business in a year or, you know, whatever. But within a few years, I actually think there's going to be incredibly seismic changes for all this. And so for me, this highlights a thesis that I have been believing in or pursuing for quite a while now. You know, and the culprits were different before. I mean, the culprits were about, you know, globalization or the general push toward commoditization, which, you know... AI, frankly, is kind of an extension of that, right? Like, what's even better and cheaper than a foreigner who's doing it really fast and well? Oh, I know, a computer that's doing it instantly and for no money, right? Yes, right. We are all being commoditized. And essentially, you can fight back because of quality, I say in air quotes. But honestly, I'm not even sure if we can do that. LLMs are going to be better than us. What we can fight back with, I believe... And, you know, I'm an eager recipient of this conversation as well because we're all figuring it out together. But I think that what we can fight back with is relationships and with brand equity. If you become a person that people want to be around, if you are a person that people like enough, that they respect enough, and frankly, that there's enough of a frisson of like, oh, you know, we get to have Kaihan here. 
if you have enough brand equity that you have assembled, then it doesn't matter that AI is nearly as good as what we are doing. But for anybody who is an average performer, I say in air quotes, there's going to be a world of hurt. And so I think that we all need very rapidly to double down and recommit to our personal brand and to our network and to our relationships, because those are the things that are going to enable us to be successful when we have all been commoditized by something that is not just better than us as individuals, but is frankly probably going to be better than us as a species. Yes, uh, I love that. I've never heard someone frame the challenge in that way, because what I hear and what you're saying is maybe the future will be fewer jerks out there more humans, and let's really lean into humanity and finding our place there. The piece that you wrote with Thomas Chamorro, who's also been on this podcast, I think is very specific and enlightening. Dory, I know that we've reached the top of our time with you. Thank you so much for being here and the work that you do and making it so available to us. What would you have as a suggestion for our listeners who want to continue learning from you and following you? Thank you so much. My latest book is is The Long Game, How to Be a Long-Term Thinker in a Short-Term World. And for anybody who wants to check it out or go a little bit deeper into the strategy rabbit hole, I have a free resource, which is The Long Game Strategic Thinking Self-Assessment. And you can get it for free at doryclark.com slash the long game. Cool. Well, Dory, thank you for making that available to us. And it was great seeing you again. Kaihan, thank you so much. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to our producers, Karina Reyes and Zach Ness, our editor, and the rest of the team. If you like what you heard, please follow, download, and subscribe. I'm your host, Kaihan Krippendorf. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week with another episode of OutThinkers. Thinkers.